Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Show is flying by. If you're joining us uh, on YouTube, we say thank you. Hope you subscribe. You can join Chad in the chat. You can also uh, listen live each and every day on this great radio partner. Uh, more at Outkick.com as well. Podcast. Pod- yeah, that's right. If you're a podcast person, you want to listen after the fact, you can do it there as well. So many different routes you can do this. Hutton, I feel like today is kind of a we're back type of show, really? even though we never left. We've been here all week, but I just, I, every energy is... segment we come back, I want to like proclaim that we're back, <laughs> but we never left. So we're here. We're maybe we should just leave we're not for leaving. a couple weeks and then so we can come back and the say Capri we're back. Jordan Belfort. This will be our last Wednesday. We're going to do the show for two weeks. Then in two weeks, we'll come back and say we're back. College football, Hutton, will begin a week from Saturday with week zero right here in Nashville. Vanderbilt, in front of 22,000 people because their end zones are under construction, will host Hawaii at night. We are 10 days away from that. That is crazy to me when I started to look at the schedule. It always sneaks up because there's, in the last few years, this time of year has been dominated by the future seasons, not about... Well, this is like... It's going to really start next week when we're in the week out. But you, I start to get that tingle. The, oh, the, the hairs, and it, here's the few the hairs on my arm that I have we will be, start to stand We up. will be teased by one good day of fall-like weather, and yeah. then it will go back to... We had it this morning because it, it was in heat. the 50s, in the lower 60s. It felt great last night. Yeah. But it's, it's, not just, it's not just the weather. There's this, oh, we've got legitimate football start starting soon. Humming oh. the theme songs for the college football themes. Da, 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 da. Yeah. A week from Thursday, Hutton. A week from Thursday. I think I'm right on this. Two weeks. Two weeks from this Thursday, 15 days from now, we will have Florida at Utah on a Thursday night. We'll have Nebraska, Minnesota on a Thursday night. We got a lot of good football coming. That first weekend has got some pretty good games, but I love that first Thursday night of college football so much. When yeah. you have a full slate of games kicking things off, I, I cannot wait. I'm just, I'm very excited. Clay Travis will join us coming up in about uh, 15 minutes or so. He'll be back with no doubt. Uh, looking forward to that. He'll, he'll be talking some college football with us. Chad, the reaction to your NFL of college football discussion and the, the all 32, the look at the 32 programs that made your NFL of college football segment yesterday uh, in this exercise, the feedback from listeners, viewers, college football fans, where was the biggest discussion? Where was the biggest argument? Where were people pissed off for greatness? Well, the feedback has been uh, fierce and heavy. There's been a lot of it. In fact, you can read about some of that feedback and uh, a piece opining on this idea from Trey Wallace, who posted something to OutKick.com on the cover of OutKick right now, further examining this. Once again, just quickly, the preface behind this. This is not my desire for what college football will be. The idea was if we continue to make decisions based solely on money 
and college football wants to be the NFL, well, here is the NFL of college football. Here's what it would look like if there were 32 teams collectively bargaining, negotiating with media companies for rights fees, every bit of business being tight, compact, into an NFL-like structure and how much money a 32-team college football, NFL of college football could make. And I put together my 32 NFL teams of college football. And the biggest point of contention, there, there were two. One I expected, Hutton, and that was Syracuse. You see it right there in the East Division. A lot of people said, how on earth did Syracuse get on this list? And made fun of me for putting Syracuse on the list. The other one was, and probably the biggest snub based on response, a team we did not mention, and I should have mentioned this, we should have mentioned it, Oklahoma State was the biggest snub from fans. Not understanding mainly why Baylor, TCU, Colorado, Utah would be in over Oklahoma State. I I get that. It's understandable. Look, if I went to 40, a lot of people are coming back and saying 36 would be better. You could get some of these in. 40 would be better. Absolutely. I'd love to have 64 if we could. That'd make it a lot easier to include almost every team out there. But I wanted to do it as the NFL of college football. Well, the NFL's 32 teams. So I started with the idea of, man, 36 would be a lot easier. Because with 36, I could add Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Pittsburgh, let's say. Yeah. Mississippi State. I could add that to the list and make it easier on me and, and everyone else. But I wanted to keep it at 32. And with 32, there's a tough cutoff point for that. Oklahoma State, valid arguments being made about them should be on the list. They weren't. I was surprised, Hutton, to see that Kentucky didn't get a lot of blowback. Kentucky fans weren't as mad well, about it as Oklahoma State fans. The other thing that jumped out to me, and I appreciate this, people value geography. People were pissed about Oklahoma being in the north or Arkansas being in the north or pointing out where Oklahoma and Georgia are located and all of these things. I like that. I think geography should matter. You know who doesn't think geography should matter? The Big Ten. The ACC who was discussing Stanford and Cal. Almost every conference now doesn't care about geography. The American Athletic Conference doesn't keep teams all close together. So they don't value that as much. And I'll also say, continue the comparison with the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts are in the AFC South. It's never going to work out perfect. When you spread teams across the country, I can't get a perfect eight teams in every division that's perfectly right next to each other. Some look good geographically. There are some that are a bit out of place. Baylor, I think, is in the West, as an example. Yes. It's pretty far East compared to everyone else to be in the West. But there's no perfect way to work it out. But I appreciate the people who were angry about the geography. And uh, the one thing that you didn't mention, you mentioned geography, and I I agree with that. Um, You don't have the complaints about having the the SEC lean. And I think that's the other thing with Ole Miss and Kentucky and others – they could have a gripe about this. Uh, that's what you're right about Oklahoma State. Uh, Syracuse was there, though, for the market and the location, correct? That's why you implemented them. At yeah. The, and you were you hit that right off of the top with the East Division. Well, and you got to go way back. But, I mean, you know, Syracuse, uh, Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, national championship winning teams, they, they have had success. It's been a while. Uh, Donovan McNabb. Keith sure. Bullock, you know, they, they were good in the late 90s, you know, mid to late 90s also. It's been a while, but I look at Syracuse more as a value add because 
They're right smack dab in the middle of the state of New York, and they are the state institution of New York. I like them better than Rutgers. You know, that, that was the reason Rutgers was added to the Big Ten. I think it's one of the worst conference editions. Not one of the, it's the worst conference edition and expansion that's been made was Rutgers to the Big Ten. So I like Syracuse for those reasons. Regionality, located in New York. That's why I went with Syracuse over some other ones. But again, this is just my idea of it. I, I, there's not a lot of arguments to be made against Oklahoma State. I'm not here to bash Oklahoma State. Valid discussion about who should be in over another team. If you think Oklahoma State's worthy over Arkansas, or you think Iowa State's worthy over Baylor, we can have those discussions, certainly, and that's what's fun about these types what of you, mental exercises. What do you think the ratings would be like for this setup compared to the primetime window right now? And, and, and I'm comparing it to – this is the NFL of college football. I'm comparing it to the NFL. The average uh, primetime slot last year – for the NFL was 17 million viewership, tracked by Nielsen. Uh, and there, there was a slight dip in that, and Nielsen points out in the uh, report um, that that's likely due to Amazon Prime with Thursday night instead of it being on Fox, where they dropped in viewership. Um, for instance, the Ohio State-Notre Dame game last year averaged 10.5 million. So does it get into the NFL millions category if we're discussing just overall viewership or is the viewership where it's going to be regardless of the setup regardless of uh the divisions and who's in who's out that would be fascinating if it's about money i'm saying let's do the math on it shall we sure so 16 games if everyone's playing we'll factor in bye weeks so we're looking at probably 14 or 15 games a weekend right yeah. Um, you're going to have – here's how I would do it, okay? I'm, I'm now, again, I, I made this list, so I'm the commissioner of this col- uh, NFL of college football. I'm collectively bargaining, and I'm going out negotiating media rights with all the networks and streamers. Thursday night, I'm doing one streamer, one network game. All right? That's two on Thursday. Friday, I'm doing one game. On Friday night with a network, exclusive game, exclusive window, that's going to be an NFL of college football game on Friday. Starting on Saturday. Now, here's how I would do it, okay? I would have an early morning special. They've talked about this in the Pac-12 for a while, where you could start a game early and be in that window that could be a a different time zone for that. But let's say just for the sake of of conventionality, 11 a.m. Central Time would be the start. And I think you would have probably three games in that window, reducing the competition in that time slot where now there's a bunch of games in that window. Big noon kickoff on Fox usually dominates that 11 a.m. window. You're going to have another window at, and I'm making this very NFL, at 2.30, let's say. Let's get to three games. Your kickoff windows and the exclusive best games in different on, on, on every platform possible for the ratings purposes here, which is what the NFL does. And the, the 17 million is the average for every uh, viewing source every week combined from last year. I, I was just pointing out the 11 or whatever it was for Ohio State, Notre Dame. The, uh, if I recall, LSU Florida State had around 7 or 8 million tune in last year. They'll probably pull that again. Yep. So I would do two on Thursday, one Friday – 
Saturday, three games at 11 a.m., three games at 2.30. I would do another two games at 4 p.m., kind of sandwiching in between the afternoon and evening games. Yeah. 6 p.m., let's say there's – I'm at uh, 6, 9, 11. Let's say there's two games at 6 p.m. We're up to 13. I would do that and have one late-night game. Keep it on the West Coast. You could have, you know, West Division – of college football after dark and have a 9 p.m. kickoff there, that gets you to pretty much the amount of games you would have each week. Now, if your competition on Thursday, Friday, Saturday is not the NFL and is not going to be whatever is left over in this college football, this hypothetical college football division, if I told you you're going to have no competition other than the NFL, which will be on streaming, but one of your games will be streaming, you will be on a network or ESPN, on Thursday, that's going to be a highly rated game. One game on Friday night, your competition is high school football on Friday nights. People out of the house. If they're in the house, they're a sports fan, they're watching this NFL of college football game on Friday night. Huge ratings. Only three games at 11. Only three games at 2.30 as opposed to 17 games right now during those time slots on TV. Two games at 4 p.m., two in the primetime window, one late night. It would be a ratings juggernaut. But does it? It would be, be huge money for these thirty-two teams. Oh, well, that's the thing. You're forcing the best matchups every week too. Which it's is, what the NFL does. That's right. That's right. I mean, this is exactly what. This is how the NFL dominates in those windows. So, what do you think it does? And, and there's again, actually less competition. Uh, the top what do you think fifty about rated television programs every year. Like the NFL has like forty-eight of them every year. Uh, Forty, what, forty-five probably. And then college football with the college football playoff is always one of them. Um, how many, how many of those slots does college football get in the top fifty for the for the year? Like, do they truly make a huge dent in what people choose to watch, or do you think it's the the pageantry and the fandom of college football is what it is? If Notre Dame's on, no matter who they're playing, people are tuned in to watch it. I, Clearly, if they're I playing think, Ohio State, it's different. But I think it would drastically up the ratings for these games. I think they get an extra would, five to 10 in that ranking. Would they be uh, comparable with the NFL? No, probably not. And I think a large part of that is people's habits on the weekend. People are doing well, less on holidays. Sundays. The NFL now owns the holidays. True. People 42 also, million tuned in for the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. And people do less on Sundays. I think just as a natural order of things in America, Sunday is typically from the start of our country been a day for church and rest and people go home and watch football. Saturday, people are going to kids' soccer games. Or going to the game. They're doing yard work. They're out and about. They're running errands. So it's a different life on Saturday versus Sunday. But would college football ratings for the top games go up? Absolutely. There's far less competition. Well, and then you have more media rights money rolling in, You know, where the networks are paying a billion each to have their window with the NFL, uh, that would also, uh, that, that's how you slice in. If it's about money and the model, you copy the model, you're taking a chunk of whatever uh, ESPN's paying for Monday night and you can have your own primetime game. Or the Thursday on Amazon Prime, you've got Fox or CBS or whoever airing their own primetime game and, and for again, the NFL this college would, football. I love it. This would require everyone getting on the same page. And I'm talking about right. conferences. Right. And timing it up where everyone's media rights deal ended at the same time. 
and they could essentially form this in one offseason. Ending or take just pairing it, up. To, well, or just buying out. You know, hey, these conferences no longer exist. This is why it's a long shot, but I'm just saying if they could just magically end all relationships with conference, with TV rights, everything, and everyone, all the media rights deals ended at the same time, they could get together as a group of 32 and take it to market in one offseason and say starting in the 2032 season, you can have whatever this is, uh, the elite conference of college football, and you can buy it as a 32-team package similar to an NFL package. This deal would crush for these 32 teams. Well, keep in mind that the college football playoff expansion is only a two-year contract. So you may not have to wait until 2032. It could be 2026 if, in fact, that's the window of where those negotiations would take place. And there are some across college football that believe it's sooner rather than later. It's not on the horizon. It's literally down the street as to when all of this takes place. Clay Travis joins us coming up. Talk more college football, Sage Steele, and more with the Outkick founder. That's next on Hotline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up in an hour, Billy Lucci will join us from TexAgs.com. We'll talk Johnny football. and The godfather of the Aggies. Absolutely. That's his new nickname. Yeah. The, he is the Don. He is Johnny Manziel's keeper. <laughs> John football's keeper, Billy Lucci, will join us later. Primary complaint in 20 minutes right now. We say hello to Outkick founder and president. Clay Travis joins us. Clay, uh, the book tour continues, does it not? Yeah, I'm down in uh, Tampa. Uh, we awesome. are on the way to the book tour right now. It's uh, another signing in about 45 minutes or so. And uh, then I've got one tomorrow in Nashville at the Books a Million. Uh, I had to change that time because my uh, seventh grader has his first tackle football game for seventh grade season Awesome uh, tomorrow. So uh, I want to make sure that I'm there for that game. So uh, I got uh, – Tampa today um, and uh, Nashville tomorrow. And then I'm in Milwaukee and New York city next week. And then hopefully I'll be back home for a little while. That's awesome. Clay, you uh, and good, good luck to your son in his first tackle football game. You were able to see my NFL of college football plan uh, that we laid out yesterday. Story up at outkick.com about it right now, obviously a long way off if this were to happen, but what do you think about what it would possibly look like if college football completely replicated the NFL with how they went about their business? So I think the most likely future of college football is actually going to be the Big Ten and the SEC are equivalent of the AFC and the NFC. So um, I I tend to think that you would have uh, a, a situation set up where you would have a champ emerge from the SEC and a champ emerge from the Big Ten and every year they would play for the championship like we have a Super Bowl now. And uh, you would have like a six-team playoff on one side, 
16 playoff on the other side. I could end up being wrong, but I think the brands of the Big Ten and the SEC are so big uh, that I think it would be hard pressed to, uh, uh, to to not end up that way. Now, you could end up where you have uh, one half of a division of the SEC, or you could even have what I think probably makes the most sense. Um, I, I saw your mock-up, and I think it's interesting. But I would suggest that uh, you just kind of create an NFL division model uh, like they did in the NFL. And obviously in the NFL, they have eight divisions of four teams. Um, I think you could have, I don't know, eight divisions of six teams or something like that uh, that could make uh, a lot of sense depending on what the total number of teams ended up being. But I think that's where we're headed, right, where there's basically, for lack of a better way of describing it, a super major league. Uh, and that would be the Big Ten and the SEC. And if you're not in either of those conferences, then you aren't able to compete for the highest echelon of a championship. Clay, where are we headed with this Tui family versus Michael Orr showdown that we're seeing, where he's claiming that the blind side was a lie, he was tricked into signing into a conservatorship, and they've been making money off of him all these years. Tui family's come back and said that's not true. What do you make of this crazy story? I think the math is sometimes you have legal disputes and you look at it and you say, boy, that's going to be really complicated. Like everything involving Donald Trump right now is super complicated. and You almost have to be an advanced uh, criminal civil procedural expert to even be able to analyze much of what's going on. Sometimes legal issues aren't that complicated. So to me, the question is just, okay, how much did the Tui family make off the movie The Blind Side? There is going to be a record of that. They were paid by the movie studio uh, that made the movie. And uh, the, the, the math and the accounting on this should be super easy. Uh, if, as the Tui family claims, everybody, the two kids, the, their biological kids, mom, dad, and Michael Orr, if they all got an even share of the movie The Blind Side, uh, whatever those dollars are, it was split five ways. That seems relatively fair to me. The Tui seem to be arguing that the amount of money uh, that is out there to be made off of the blind side from the contract that they signed is actually not that substantial. And if that is true and there wasn't some massive amount of money, it seems like it would be insanely easy to figure out because the accounting of Hollywood movies is very specific. So whatever those studios paid to the Tui family, there will be a record of it. And it should be easily able to uh, to be determined. This feels like something that could be resolved in like 10 minutes. Um, if you had a decent accountant, just look at the books and or you just got a notarized letter from uh, the movie studio saying, hey, this is the total amount that we paid uh, as a result of royalties owed for life stories over this movie. Um, and I find it hard to believe that there was tens of millions of dollars made from this movie. Uh, because that would seem that that would be a lot more money than typically I think people would be paid for their life story. Clay Travis with us. Clay, the other thing, you know, I'm adopted. I was adopted shortly after birth, not at uh, 18 or uh, assumed to be 18 is whenever Orr is saying he felt tricked into signing this conservatorship. But that would also be uh, based on what the Tuies have said, both publicly in podcast or through the attorney. Uh, there are uh, allegedly text messages that would show that Orr was doing this back in 2020, 2021. 
uh, around that time frame saying, hey, uh, pay me this, I'll stay quiet. That's also the allegation here. He says he found out this February. That would also be fairly easy to prove if you just screenshot something and verify where it came from. Yeah, and also, again, the story here, and I know that's gotten a lot of attention, but the story is that he was never adopted, uh, but that they signed a conservatorship because otherwise they were going to be in violation of NCAA rules because he was living at the home and the Tuies were considered uh, boosters of Ole Miss and you're not allowed to pay at that time. Now I think it probably would be different with NIL, but you weren't allowed to pay a recruit who ends up going to your school. Um, And so that would have been when you're a booster And that would have been an issue. And then the other aspect of this story, at least publicly that's out there, is the report that the Tuies are very, very wealthy. Now, I I don't know uh, whether this is true or not, but the report is that they don't really need money. In other words, they didn't uh, look to the blind side as some opportunity to, to make a lot of money because they're already worth a couple of hundred million dollars based on businesses that they already owed. And that was Supposedly, one reason they were taking in uh, Michael Orr and uh, and having him there as a part of their family was because they they had the resources to be able to do so. So again, I, I don't know the full uh, full story there, but it, it doesn't feel very complicated. It feels yeah. like something where the truth will come out very quickly, and uh, it shouldn't take that long to be resolved. Clay, I know you've told the story. Did you write the story in On Rocky Top or one of your books? about what Philip Fulmer said to Sean Tui when he was recruiting a different player at Briarcrest? I don't even remember. I might well have. Um, uh, I, I, I think that that might well be true. I mean, I know there's a long interview with uh, Phil Fulmer in, the, uh, in On Rocky Top, and there's all sorts of different interesting quotes, and that would have been published around the time that the blind side was being made and that, Fulmer was recruiting or so that wouldn't surprise me at all. It's a good question, uh, but that's been 15 years ago. So uh, I don't have a copy of the, that book in front of me right now, but uh, your recollection seems to strike some recollection with me, but I've just interviewed so many people uh, in the last 15 years. I don't remember the specifics, but if people have got a copy of the book, uh, you can turn to the Phil Fulmer interview. And if it's in there, uh, that, that, that's a good recollection by you. Clay's out there selling one book of his. I'm yeah. selling another book of his yeah. at the same time. This is an incredible cross promotion. I can answer questions about the, yeah, the current book. I have a pretty good recollection of what I wrote in that in the last year. Uh, but I don't remember every uh, everything else. And our production crew immediately found a, a picture of the cover of On Rocky Top that they're showing right now as well. Yeah. So incredible cross promotion happening. Clay, yeah. read that book to hear that story. It's what incredible. does the Sage Still Disney ESPN settlement mean for how ESPN will treat slash uh, allow not allow comments made by all employees on air, off air moving forward? Yeah, so I mean, my perspective on this has been pretty consistent for a long time. I, I think as long as you are not at work, you should be able to have any opinion that you want under the sun. And you should be able to share that. Like, I, I don't see how this is remotely controversial. And what I mean by that is, regardless of what your politics are, it's one thing if at work you are saying things and it's distracting or making it more difficult for people to do their job. 
But Sage Steele, to me, has a right to have an opinion about whether everybody should be required to get the COVID shot to work at ESPN. Uh, Just like somebody would have the opinion, hey, everybody needs to get it. I think she has the right to say, hey, I don't think it makes sense for me and I don't think it makes sense for Disney. Um, and, uh, and so I think she's been fighting and Bobby Barack wrote a good piece about it at OutKick that I saw Sage shared, but Sage has been fighting to say, look, um, I think it's important to be able to have whatever opinion you want, um, outside of work. I think there's a difference and I may, I've made this argument for a long time, but you know, if back when they fired Kurt Schilling for his opinion on transgender, uh, bathroom related issues, if he had been on, uh, back in the day, if he had been on their baseball tonight episode and they had tossed it to Kurt Schilling and said, boy, can you believe that the Red Sox decided to pull their starting pitcher when they did? And then they brought in a relief pitcher and he gave up six runs and they lost the game. Is that the right or wrong decision in your opinion, Kurt, as it pertains to, uh, the, the, the manager's choice. And if Kurt had said, well, I'll get to that in a little bit, but first let me talk about transgender bathroom related (laughs) issues. I I would say, you know, uh, I I think it's fair for ESPN to discipline and or fire someone because most people sit down to watch a a baseball highlight show and hear a baseball analyst analyze baseball. They didn't sit down to hear what Kurt Schilling's opinion is on uh, transgender related issues. But if Kurt Schilling is out and about, uh, and wants to share his personal opinion on uh, a transgender sports-related issue or beyond, I think he should have the right to do that outside of work. And and that should be, by the way, whether the opinion is, hey, it's uh, heroic for a dude to pretend to be a chick and win a women's championship. I disagree with that, yeah. but I think you should be able to have that opinion, and I think you should be able to have the opinion that it's ridiculous to do. Uh, so to me... Uh, those are, uh, those are not difficult propositions. I think one of the worst things that's happened with social media in general, uh, I would say is we've created this world where, uh, every employer has to have an opinion on every employee's out of work opinion. Now it's, again, it's different if you're at work and you're making the, uh, the the situation worse, but the analogy I've always made is Hey, if you're a UPS driver and you want to pull in in your truck and park at UPS and you have a political bumper sticker, whether it's you're uh, fired up about abortion in some way or you're fired up about who's running for president, that's fine. But I don't want that bumper sticker on the UPS truck or the FedEx truck. I think that's reasonable. We got to let people have private lives and personal opinions in those private lives that can sometimes be public. Uh, and and not be of the opinion that you can't have an opinion and you should get fired. So I think Sage is in the right. Uh, I give her credit. Clay, how big is it that Messi is coming to your hometown of Nashville in the League's Cup championship? I think it's very cool. I mean, that game's on Saturday, right? I'm not sure what the Travis family schedule is, but I will tell you I've never thought about trying to go watch an MLS game uh, in Nashville before. And when I saw that Messi was coming to, uh, to, to Nashville, I thought, hey, maybe that's something I could take the boys to. Uh, they might be interested in watching that. I just, I don't, I'm, mom is in charge of the Travis family weekend schedule, so I have no <laughs> idea uh, what games the boys have or, uh, or what activities we have on, uh, on the clock. But if we're free on Saturday night, um, that seems, I know we're actually going to the rodeo uh, on Friday night, uh, which I've never been to before, which I'm, I think is going to be pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but I don't know what the Saturday night family uh, festivities are. 
How lazy have you gotten? Final minute here. How lazy have you gotten signing your name on over this tour? I've had the same signature for a long time. I do clay where you can read every letter, and then I do a big T uh, and a line, and I just put a dot above it to represent the uh, the Travis last name. So okay. uh, I'm fast. Uh, we had hundreds of people last night in Houston. I'm now sitting outside the Tampa Books a Million. It's kind of awkward. You know, you're going to walk in. <laughs> there could be a lot of people there. Um, or, you know, I, I talked about this 17 years ago, I walked in and there was not one person there. So, uh, um, you know, so far all the, uh, all the, uh, signings have been well attended, whether it's Cleveland, you know, uh, New Jersey, uh, uh, Salt Lake city, all those places so far. Um, and we had a monster crowd last night in Houston. Uh, I hope there will be a decent crowd here and then in Nashville tomorrow. Clay, I will try to sign your name uh, as you just recommended next time I sign on your behalf. Right now, I'm just doing a C. Yeah, with a I got to be careful. You're already getting uh, taking credit sometimes for uh, for for being me, and uh, got to make sure I don't end up with uh, yeah. with responsibilities that I can't handle here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we've got the uh, the the uh, checks that have not been signed, so don't worry about that. It's just yeah. the just the book. Yeah. Clay, always always great, man. Uh, keep up the great uh, tour, and uh, hopefully, we'll catch up with you soon here in Nashville. Yeah, can't wait to get back home. Appreciate y'all. Thanks a lot. College football just around the corner, too. Cannot wait. Uh, Clay Travis there coming up. Primary complaints. We are locked and loaded for that. And a bit later in the show, Billy Lucci talks all things Johnny Manziel, Johnny football. He's with TexAgs.com. More coming up. Hot Mike with Hutton with Withrow rolls on. Primary complaint coming up in a couple of minutes. Hot Mike with Hutton with her rolls on across the Outkick Network, live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Show is flying by, Hutton. Billy Lucci will join us in about 40 minutes. Always great to catch up with him. Talk Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. Godfather of the Ags, Billy yeah. Lucci. John Just Football's keeper, Billy Lucci. The Don of A man the of many, many titles and many talents. 12th man Don. 12th man. <laughs> Don of the 12th man. Uh, Chad, Anthony Richardson, no surprise. Anthony Richardson is the week one starter in Indianapolis. I say no surprise because when he was drafted, they were immediately at the podium saying, hey, he's our guy. We're in love with the ceiling that he uh, presents and the, the potential that he uh, has shown us throughout the scouting process, but it's going to take some time. Uh, Ursay is saying, when they selected him at four, hey, he's our guy. They're throwing him in a year early at best here. There were some scouts during the draft process that said that he needed two years to develop more instead of coming out early from Florida. Uh, but Richardson in this battle with Gardner Minshew, he's already been named the week, week one started. By the way, week one, Jacksonville at Indianapolis on September the 10th. Richardson said he was, quote, shocked and thankful when he was told that he was the QB1. Honestly, shocked. I've been grinding, putting in the work to get the title. But it's not really all about the title. I'm just trying to make sure I'm ready for the team. Despite being labeled as QB1, I've still got a, other guys in the room helping me to get to that standard. I'm forever thankful to them. I appreciate them, and I'm glad I did it. Uh, I'm glad I did get the nod and have the trust of everybody in the building. Um, I love that response. He feels like he's had to earn it, and he still feels like he continues. He, he must earn it. 
But just keep this in mind. Like the, the organization, when they selected him, when they're throwing a parade for their new franchise quarterback the day after the presser, even the, the hour after the first round ends, they're even saying, hey, this is going to be bad before it's good. This is going to be progression. And the progression begins week one. I'm shocked by the amount of people who truly bought their line about Gardner Minshew being the starter. There were a lot of people yeah. covering the Colts that really believed that to be the case. I never expected Minshew to be the starter. He's good off the bench. He's good in spurts, right? That's what he's, that's what he's done through his career. He's, he's got the magic, and then things trail off. Um, I, I, I'll I'm, say, I'm just a believer in starting the clock, starting on, the your, clock on your but, franchise quarterback. But in this case, uh, they, again, they're comparing what they have to Gardner Minshew, right? If Matt Ryan's still there for a year and they end up with the fourth overall pick, Matt Ryan's probably the starter. Again, I'm just comparing quarterbacks here, veteran quarterbacks. Um, do you believe that you can have a one step forward, two steps back with the, you know, the the mental aspect of the game when a guy gets knocked around? Right now, Jonathan Taylor's he's discontent. You know, he's on PUP. Um, their backup Zach Moss broke his arm. So he's out for six or seven weeks. They don't have a run game behind the rookie. Offensive line wasn't good last year. I mean, I think the average football fan uh, for the NFL could name one, maybe two wide receivers on this team. And it, it, you have to go down a list before you even start thinking about the Colts offense. So this is not going to be pretty. And Shane Steichen is the new head coach. They're getting the clock rolling on him too. And the clock is rolling as well on Chris Ballard, the GM. I think if there's some extreme physical risk, for whatever reason, no offensive line, help at all, th then maybe you consider you know, sitting him for a while or bringing him in when the offensive line gets better or whatever you want to do. But if not... Yeah. Well, you draft him at four. You, you draft him at four. But again, if, if you draft your franchise quarterback, and the idea is he's going to be the franchise quarterback... If he is mentally shook by not performing well in his rookie year, you drafted the wrong guy. I've long been a believer in if it's the right person. Peyton Manning sucked as a rookie for the Colts. He got sacked constantly. He threw a bunch of interceptions. The team was terrible. Did that mentally break Peyton Manning? Of course not. And he became a Hall of Famer. He was the guy. If you have the guy, you're going to find out. If they mentally fold because they're shaken – because they don't perform well as a rookie or things aren't all going their way, then you don't have the guy anyway. So that's a good way to find out quicker whether or not you have the guy. I, I've long been a believer in not coddling the quarterback, throwing them to the fire. They're adults. By the time you draft them, start the clock on these guys. Start to figure it out. That's not to say pitch them aside if they perform poorly behind a bad offensive line in their rookie year. But let's figure it out. And that's the Colts are saying. I applaud yeah. them for doing that. Let's figure it out. Well, and the, the, the ground to stand on is we drafted him at four. Meanwhile, you know, Levis is a second-round pick. You know, the, the luxury of just saying, well, it's a second-round quarterback. Yeah. Not a top-ten quarterback. Well, you don't draft in the second round you know, it, to start a guy immediately. So, yeah. no, I, it, again, and I'm talking top five, top ten pick material, right? You. If it's a mid-round well, pick, yeah. even, and you've got a veteran guy on the roster, okay, let that guy start the season as a starter. If he does well, he can finish. If not, maybe mid-season. But even Justin Fields you and bring Mac Jones in. are yeah. immediately started. They're you know, outside of the top ten there. And they didn't have a great option ahead of them. Right. So uh, that's part of it. If you draft a guy and you think, 
He's more of a project that will be in his second year of the starter, but we got a good veteran option now. Then I'm okay starting it, but Gardner Minshew? No. Anthony Richardson should be the starter, and I'm glad that he is. Chad, the Raiders general manager is signing autographs at camp, and he's telling fans that he has no problem with Josh Jacobs, the, the 11 to $12 million uh, contract, that they're going to get it done. Uh, Josh Jacobs, if he can get this done, that's fine, because that's Saquon Barkley-esque, right? And Barkley's doing it on a one-year contract. But right now, the one-year tag is on Josh Jacobs. And knowing that Dalvin Cook just signed for what could be with incentives, $8 million. Ezekiel Elliott is now in New England, and he signed for, what, six on a one-year contract. You take the 10.1 if that's all you have available for you because the other contracts are not going to be anything for leverage on your behalf, and you're losing out on a fully guaranteed $10 million, uh, regardless of the, the stance you're taking on a long-term deal. Um, Again, general manager speaking to fans saying this is different than what is, whatever's going on behind the scenes. And he, like Jonathan Taylor, are the two that everyone's watching to see what happens at the position for their teams. He means a lot. Think about Jimmy G and what, where he's won. He's won a lot as the starting quarterback. He's also had a run game behind him. He's had options. Same thing in Indianapolis where they're starting a rookie quarterback. I think you got to take what you can get. I, it sounds awful. Yeah, especially this I mean, time. there is... I get I get the prideful part of it. I understand it. You know, it's probably not fair, but there are times when you got to swallow your pride and get what you can get. Dalvin Cook realized that. Yeah. And he went to a situation where he could possibly win a Super Bowl with the Jets. I I think Jacobs, Taylor, the, these guys are going to have to figure it out. Saquon Barkley, you know, got a small win and the way they were able to restructure things to make it look different. Move money but around, yeah. Was it a big win monetarily? No, probably not. But it's something different. But for the rest of these guys, you got to take what you can get. And they're going to figure that out. I, I think all of them will. Chad, we've got more headlines coming up. Billy Lucci as well. But right now it is time to air our top grievance of the week. It is time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for a Hot Mike's primary complaint. Chad, my primary complaint this week is someone in marketing was paid for the packaging of broccoli. Um, We're showing the image on the screen here. Shopping recently. Broccoli in a bag. You put it in a microwave. In the top right corner, the marketing push for this is new, healthy side dish. Broccoli is new and healthy as a side dish. Someone is on a salary that said, you know what? Let's put the word new in front of healthy. That's going to really get that mom to dive in on broccoli as a side dish all of a sudden. Give me a break. Uh, This is like someone that was paid to come up with, in the state of Tennessee, paid $80,000 for two letters, T and N, as the new state logo. Uh, I hope that that person, whoever's doing this bag marketing for broccoli, wasn't paid more than the stupid logo that we look at each and every day. That's my primary complaint. Hutton, the Perro Family Farms also has a new and exciting breakfast healthy product, the banana, that they're going to be offering. Very <laughs> new. Very new. With brand new exclamation breakfast point. item. New. Banana. New healthy side dish. That's great. I've also got a food-related 
complaint this week. My primary complaint, serving sizes and how we monitor them. Crumble cookie, big mm. topic on the show last week. I had way too many of them, big and servings. I had different portions of them. What I don't like is when I look at a <laughs> serving size, if you give me a big cookie, okay? I'm, I'm right now making, for those listening. Like you're catching a football. I'm making the, the size of the cookie for everyone to see. This is not too much mass to be able to calculate how many calories is in this mass <laughs> of cookie. That's so fair. when you give me a serving size, it should be the size of the thing that I'm eating. Now, I understand a pizza, they're going to give you serving sizes in fourths, let's say, right? Because they're thinking you're not going to eat the whole pizza. Well, they don't know me because I'm going to eat the whole pizza, so I may need it in the full serving size. But for a cookie, I don't need the serving size to be half the cookie. I don't need it to be a fourth of the cookie. I need to know the calorie count in the entire cookie. And I looked up the calorie count in the entire cookie. It was not good for me. Let me, let me be clear on that. Not good at all. I had a, a, an iced coffee today from a gas station. On the back of it, it had calories. I think it was 85. Guess what the serving size was? One <laughs> container of the coffee. Perfect. Not a half of it. Not a fourth. I didn't have to do math to figure out how many calories. It was one container and the serving size was the container of coffee. This is not difficult to figure out. Serving sizes do not need to be divided up. The serving size is the thing in front of me. So if you are a crumble cookie, if you're an iced coffee, heck, if you're even a pizza and you like to eat full pizzas like me, <laughs> any of it, just give me the calorie count of the thing that I'm well, eating and not in serving sizes Thank you. This is a message to the Food I, and Drug Administration. I am with you on this. And the, the FDA, so like the pizza thing makes sense. Like the serving size is what someone would typically eat from a whole pizza. Yeah, I mean, right? I get that part. But like the cookie, Again, they don't know me, but yeah. They, a serving, this is straight from their website. A serving size is the amount of food customarily consumed in one sitting for that food. How do they know that? Because it can change. It's like uh, if you... It, Eat a bag of popcorn, you know, and it's like uh, serving size. It's like, what, eight or nine? Well, look, like a bag like of no one's something, eating that. something meant to be shared. Like a cookie's not meant to be shared. Like if it's a bag of chips, right? Okay, serving size is five in a bag or four, whatever. Fine. No one's eating just four or five, though. That's not but the like typical consumption, bag, is my point. But a small bag is to be consumed by one person. Right, which is more than four so or five chips. So that serving size should be, this is the calories in the bag. But it should equal whatever's in the large bag, and it doesn't. It's always less. No, I'm like, it definitely no, doesn't do that. Yeah, and it, 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 how do they know that the custom for the average American is five chips of a, a bag of Frito-Lays? And if we're going to be so, so precious about how much Americans should eat of everything, then just make it mandatory to sell it in that serving size. Now everything has to be sold. Hey, you can't eat more than this. So here is the bag that you're going to buy, or here's the cookie you're going to buy, or the half a pizza you're going to whatever. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. I don't need to do math. If I see calorie count on it, I want it to be for the whole thing. It's very simple. One-fourth of a cookie. I'm trying to make things simpler for people. One-fourth of a cookie. Is that the average serving? One-fourth yeah, of they a cookie. They say the average person eats one-fourth one of that a cookie? That is insanity. I don't know a single person who eats one-fourth of a crumble cookie when they get it. <laughs> Chad ate a fourth of People on diets that are trying to lose 50 pounds don't eat a fourth of a crumble cookie. (laughs) 
I mean, uh, let me meet someone that eats a fourth of a crumble cookie. Because you're judging on who eats it. I will show it. you a psychopath. You're judging on who eats the food, not who doesn't eat the food. They're doing it my, on what is the custom for the average person. My daughter Lucy turns four today. She eats more than a fourth of a crumble cookie. She deserves it. She's We're four. getting crumble cookies for her birthday right now as we speak. She will eat more than a fourth of a crumble cookie. She's four. You will too. She's tiny. I'll eat one and a half. <laughs> How many serving sizes is that? Yeah, 11. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a mathematician. Oh, coming up, uh, Billy Lucci will join us in hour number three. Final hour straight ahead. Billy Headlines include uh, another lawsuit for Northwestern. That's next on Hot Mike with Honey Withrow.